WDBM East Lansing. 89 FM. The Impact. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. Good evening. Thank you for joining us on Exposure. I am Abby Newton, and it is Tuesday night. President Barack Obama will be visiting East Lansing on Friday to talk about the economy. Although a time and location have not yet been determined, our news team will do our best to keep you informed. In other news, a man escaped a Michigan prison on Sunday, but was found in northern Indiana on Monday night. Michael Elliott was serving a life sentence after he killed four people in 1993. On January 1st, Colorado legalized marijuana, but today it has spread to the kitchen. That's right, citizens in Colorado are putting the substance in food to make something that we college students call edibles. They are usually in the form of brownies, but businesses in the state are taking full advantage of this new retail industry. On Sunday night, Super Bowl 48 became the most watched television program in American history as the Seahawks beat the Broncos by 45 points. Although it was a tough loss for the Broncos, the Seahawks celebrated as it was the first win in franchise history. Welcome back. I'm Abby Newton. Tonight, we will be talking about a weight loss show that will be casting in Detroit and a new project at the Broad Art Museum. Also on Exposure, we will delve into the topic of the cyclotron. Our reporters will bring you stories about a popular restaurant in Lansing, and we'll be assessing our New Year's resolutions. Lastly, I talked to two of our directors here at Impact about a unique food challenge they did last month. You're listening to Impact Exposure. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Friday nights at 10 p.m., get ready for The Mechanical Pulse, where we're spinning all the house, trance, drum and bass, electro, ambient, and remixed music you need to get the weekend started. You'll hear live interviews and DJs spinning straight from the Impact Studios and the best new music on the scene. So tune in every Friday night at 10 p.m. for Mechanical Pulse. Only on 88.9 The Impact. Have you ever considered donating your blood? If not, perhaps you might reconsider. By the time this announcement is through, 15 new people will need blood. In fact, blood is needed by one in every 10 hospital patients, and there is almost always a shortage. There is no substitute for human blood. It cannot be manufactured. It can only come from those willing to donate. To learn more or make an appointment, visit redcrossblood.org. Reconsider blood donation. It's about life. Now back to Impact Exposure. Welcome back. I'm Abby Newton. Now, weight loss, a well searched item on the internet. But how about extreme weight loss? ABC is hosting a show in which contestants lose half of their body weight in 365 days. It's actually called Extreme Weight Loss. The show will be in Detroit on February 15th to cast its next season. I talked to casting director Carrie Shanahan about the show. It's a year-long process, so people don't get shipped off to some camp for three months and then expect to kind of lose the weight for the remainder of their life and kind of know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, We follow them, this whole entire weight loss journey, over the course of 365 days, one full calendar year, (laughs) and um, they lose 50% of their body weight or more sometimes. So. It's definitely um, not a show, I think, that, um, you know, it's very unique. Mm -hmm. It's very, um, goodness, I'm like stumbling over my words here. (laughs) No problem. The beauty of pre-recording is is I can always delete those. So you're totally fine. (laughs) No, um, yeah, so it's a, you know, it follows the show. 
the cast member for 365 days, and our trainer, Chris Powell, works with them directly. And I find that it's more beneficial than some of the other weight loss shows that are on TV these days just because um, you're at home. A lot of the skeletons that are in your closet, the things that um, get you to this weight, you're addressing you know, during, as you're losing it. So hopefully those problems, those issues that uh, got you to the size are going to be addressed and you don't have to go back and um, it leaves you in a better position overall, I feel. Mm-hmm. And you say it was a journey. That's what you kind of called this whole weight loss challenge. So can you kind of build on that a little more and describe what some of the contestants might experience during this journey? Yeah, most definitely. Um, now, when I say journey, it's you're in it for the long haul, I feel. Um, I worked with some people very closely uh, last couple of seasons, and a lot of kind of I feel what came about was this almost self-analysis that takes place during the whole process. It's more than just numbers on a scale. Um, you know, you kind of go into and start to address those uh, inner demons, the things that, like I said, get you to this size. And there's ups and downs. There's weight loss. Sometimes there's weight gain. Uh, Naturally, it's a struggle, but it's one that you become more, I think, fit throughout the entire journey Mm -hmm. to address and ultimately come out on top. And what is that relationship between, you know, your physical health and your weight with your social health and kind of how you feel about yourself? In my opinion, that relationship between emotional and physical is so important. Um, if, you know, so many times I sit down with people and I say, you know, the only way you're actually going to lose all this weight and keep it off is if you address it up top, meaning, you know, you start to be a little bit more reflective of the decisions you make when you're making them and how it's affecting your physical health. Um, Not only that, you kind of start to realize the real reasons behind maybe why you gained the weight, um, the real reasons behind why you want to lose the weight. And uh, sometimes those reasons lay dormant for a long time and people start to, I feel, really open up throughout this entire process. Mm -hmm. And looking at the process, one of the leaders of that process is, again, the trainer, uh, Chris Powell. What's he like? And if people do go on the show, what are they, um, what might they experience, we'll say? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting I feel about the show is um, Chris, genuinely, what you see on TV, that is the person he is. He's very uh, caring. He's very giving and very um, understanding of the struggle itself. And he's so filled with knowledge and wants you to succeed, not only just for the show, but for your life. It, mm-hmm. it extends beyond a year. And I feel like he understands that the show is, is a foundation. Um, and he ultimately tries to set up each individual for success, even beyond the 365 days. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking at February 15th, that's a big day here in Michigan. Could you build on that a little bit? Yeah, most definitely. So February 15th, myself and my colleague Katie, we're going to be down in the Detroit area, actually Auburn Hills to be exact, um, at the Toby Keith's I Love This Bar and Grill. We're going to be, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. So we're going to be down there at the Toby Keys. I Love This Bar and Grill on Baldwin Road, and we'll be there from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. for our Season 5 open casting call. And what do you look for in uh, as you're doing this casting? Are there particular people, or what are your eyes kind of searching for in that crowd? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, for starters, we are looking for individuals that have 50% of their body weight to lose. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely something to consider when you show up. Additionally, we want the people that are there to change. It's more than just you know, I want to look good in the stress, and uh, it's more than just the superficial. It's, you know, I need this. I want to get my life back on track. I want to feel good about myself, both physically and mentally. That connection is still there. Um, and we want the people to have the desire to change, to make those tough choices and uh, be willing and able to stick with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, for people who are watching this show as it, you know, begins to develop in the future, what do you think that they will take away as audience members? You know, I feel what's so great about the show is that we actually have a very diverse cast. And even when I watch the show, I relate to each one of them in certain ways. Um, They all come from different walks of life, all struggle with their own personal issues, and um, all go about them in different ways. So, Each episode offers, I feel, um, its own diverse 
you know, bag of tricks and things to kind of be aware of, not just in weight loss, but I feel like sometimes in life itself, there's so much that you could take away from each episode and each individual. And uh, my last question, Carrie, I always like to kind of end on a fun note as well as a little get to know you for the um, interviewee. And so this is a health show. So I started thinking about what I wanted to ask you. And I decided to ask you, what is your favorite healthy food and what's your favorite kind of guilty pleasure food? Oh, favorite (laughs) healthy food. Um, I do have to say I'm a big fan of kale. Really? (laughs) Kale? It's actually something that's grown on me um, (laughs) and not something that I thought I would like. But definitely after, you know, working on the show and actually being around, you know, just the different varieties, it kind Mm -hmm. of opened my mind to a lot of new things. Mm -hmm. So that being one of them. Um, Guilty pleasure, I'm still a big fan of the mac and cheese. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Craft? Like the in the box or homemade gooey mac and cheese? Maybe. Oh, that's great. Well, again, you can tune in or uh, you can head to Detroit on February 15th if you're interested in being casted for the Extreme Weight Loss, a 365-day challenge to lose half your body weight. Again, uh, like Carrie said, it's more than just a TV show. It's definitely a journey. So with that, thank you so much, Carrie Shanahan. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. People dying when it's time to lend a hand to life. The greatest gift of all. Can't go on pretending day by day that someone somehow will soon make a change. We are all a part of God's great big family, and it's true, you know, love is so weak. not be in vain We can let them suffer No, no we cannot turn away Right now They need a helping hand hey. No someone love We are the children We are the ones who make a brighter day So let's start giving oh, There's a choice Hello again, I'm Abby Newton, and this is Exposure on Impact 89FM. The Broad Art Museum is trying to be more than just a place for fine art exhibits and community gatherings. It is actually engaging with our city in a project titled East Lansing 2030. The project invites architects and designers from across the country to envision a future for East Lansing. A new designer has been presenting their work and ideas for the architecture of our city from November 2013 to May 2014. I talked to Alec Hathaway, the Associate Curator of Architecture and Design from the Broad. So first off, where did this idea for the East Lansing 2030 come from? So the idea for the show came from the museum's director, Michael Rush, who upon arriving here, I think has been looking for the various ways that the museum can engage with its community and through its programming begin to have an impact directly and indirectly on the broader environs here. For an architecture and design show, his stroke of genius to me was to set architectural projects in the community so that we're both trying to engage the community that's already thinking about real projects and the real growth that the community will undergo 
and also connect that back to something more abstract, which would be an exhibition about architecture mm -hmm. and design. So we have two angles to bring together in the project. And you say this project is a dream to you. Can you explain why that is so? Yeah. Well, my background is in a, as an architect. And so as an architect, you're always looking around in broader society and looking for ways that what you do can make a difference, how it impacts society, how society understands the act of design, how what you do impacts the people beyond those people that are the clients hiring you to design a building, mm -hmm. in my case. And through the museum, you have a different charge, but it's getting at that same question of how does the broader community value and understand design, and how can you impact that through what you do, which is either practicing as an architect and designing something, or in the case of the museum, we're trying to facilitate a discussion about ideas, and we're going to be able to bring ideas to this community, not in the form of built buildings, but in the form of design projects. So we have this opportunity to bring a lot to the table, more so than that would come to the table if we had to wait for individual projects to go through all their phases, get built, get discussed. We can sort of quickly bring a handful of practitioners who will think about this as though they were real projects, mm -hmm but then in short order provide us something that's also visionary that may then turn around and impact something that we do in the real world. And it seems like East Lansing and Lansing have been working on these projects and are seeking solutions to some of these projects. Yeah, if you try to keep track of all of it, your head will spin. <laughs> the most noticeable ones are obviously the Park District mm -hmm. project in East Lansing, which will have such a big impact on the growth and the feel of the downtown. And the city's also currently engaged in a master planning process to update the master plan. There's broader visioning and design planning for the Grand River Michigan Corridor and into Lansing as well. So the timing is really fortuitous for us as a museum to have all this going on in the real world that we can connect to. Mm -hmm. Um, and hopefully contribute to, but from our own sort of unique perspective. Sure. And it's funny because you feel like a museum, you know, it's there for people to enjoy and to look at, but it, you don't feel like there's this uh, responsibility that it has to connect is extremely with the community. So why do you think Broad has taken that role in trying to engage and make a difference here in East Lansing and Lansing? Well, I think it grows out of something that museums see as their mission, and I think the Broad sees it as their mission even under... Um, non-architecture and design shows. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, a painting or sculpture show, one of the underlying ideas that the museum would always have is that through your experience of this exhibition, it would relate or have an impact on your day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. It may not always be clear to you how that's happening, but the idea is that both in how you visit the museum, walk through the galleries, and are impacted by the art that you see, it has some relation back to your day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. With the architecture and design, that would be the case even with, say, the current exhibition, the Lebius Woods exhibition, which is drawings, designs, not set in East Lansing, not directly relevant on some levels to our day-to-day -day community, but at the same time, the hope is that you do see it and you begin to think about his designs and the communities that they were for and mm -hmm. how your day-to-day -day life could also be impacted by your having gone to that gallery. With the East Lansing project, we have the added benefit of being able to engage the real-world um, conversations directly. Mm -hmm. So we can say, hey, look, you are thinking about this. You are talking about this. This is about your community. And that's another way that people can sort of tie into this and hopefully become really engaged and more aware of the ways that design can work and impact your day-to-day -day life. And then could you just explain the whole process and I guess looking at the next year, what this whole project would entail? Yes. Um, <laughs> Go ahead, you're fine. Sorry. It's okay, I'll <clears throat> get that out. Excellent. So <laughs> the way that the project is structured is that we are currently in the midst of bringing to town on a monthly basis the practitioners who will be eventually participating in the exhibition in fall of 2014. And once a month, they're coming to do a site visit, to meet with people, and to give a public program, sort of a lecture and discussion about their past work, about what they think they've done that might be relevant to us. And the idea is after that happens, we talk to them as a community and they get some ideas and thoughts from us. Then they go back and start working on what identifying what their design project would be. We're not scripting for them, you will design a project on X site or you will design us a certain type of building or even a building at all. We're sort of asking them to come talk to us 
tell us about their past work, and then see what out of that conversation seems like a logical or interesting thing to develop for the community. Um, after seven of them have run through between this past November and next May, over the summer, they'll be completing their designs and will be transitioning to building it into an exhibition that opens mm -hmm. within the walls of the gallery in the fall. But the whole process is intended to be a, an ongoing conversation that culminates in that exhibition. It doesn't start. So what we're doing now is really integral to the experience of the final gallery show. Sure. And what are you most looking forward to through this project? I've been most excited with and I think continue to be most excited about seeing how the ideas that are brought by these various designers, and that's architects, landscape architects, and even urban designers, so it's not solely architects, and how those ideas impact the people mm -hmm. here. I think it'll get more interesting and exciting on some level as they develop designs that are for a site here or for East Lansing. But even when they come and talk about their past projects, their ideas that come out of that, that can have a life of their own in the community, independent of what they eventually design for the exhibition. Mm -hmm. Well, we very much look forward to this whole project and seeing it almost unveil itself. And I'm sure your passions will continue to increase as it does so. So with that, thank you very much, Alec, for your time. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Michigan State University has recently become known as the place with that giant spaceship museum and this big thing called the cyclotron. Now, many aren't quite sure what the cyclotron is, I myself included. However, we sat down with a doctoral student to really figure out what this thing is that we have here on Michigan State's campus. And to do that, I give you Impact's Carmen Scruggs with the interview. Uh, my name is Ragnar Stroberg. I'm a, a grad student and I work at the cyclotron. Okay. So have you always been interested in science? Um... I, I would say no more than most kids are. When I was a little kid, I mean, I, I was interested in playing sports, riding skateboards, things like that. So I think being interested in science came more when I started studying it in, in school. Right. Okay. And what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were younger? When I was little, I wanted to be a pro basketball player. Um, it didn't work out because I'm 5'10 I'm and not very good at basketball. But, uh, and then I wanted to be a, a rock star, and that didn't work out either. But uh, I'm still working on it. You said you did undergraduate at... I, uh, I went to school at UC Berkeley. Yeah. Okay, and then you came to MSU for grad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, and why did you choose MSU? Well, I was looking to study nuclear physics, and it turns out that uh, Michigan State's got the number one ranked nuclear physics program in, in the country, uh, and that's in large part because we've got a, a cyclotron on campus. It's a, a, a national lab, huge facility right there on campus, so I... It, it's kind of like the best of both worlds, having classrooms and a, a large research facility. Right, right. Awesome. And so how do you explain your career path to those who aren't necessarily scientists? I, 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 so far, my career path has been going to school and doing research on the side. And since I came here, I've uh, been doing more research and a little bit less school. But it, I, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a career yet. <laughs> Right. So what would you like your career to eventually be? Do you want to continue doing research? Or? Oh, yeah. I, I'd, I'd like to be a, a physicist in the end. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's, 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 a, it's a really satisfying job, although it can be frustrating at times because you have to, everything that you do has to be so hard. Right. And what is so satisfying? Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a sense of figuring out something that's never been figured out by anyone else before, ever. So you, you have this kind of moment of seeing something for the first time and realizing that no one else has ever known this. No matter how small it is, it's still kind of a cool feeling. What really is the cyclotron at MSU, like in layman's, layman's terms? So the, the cyclotron itself is a particle accelerator. We, we actually have two cyclotrons that uh, are coupled together to accelerate the particles even faster. Um, and so we, we use these, this particle accelerator to study rare isotopes. And what that means is essentially all of matter is made up of protons, neutrons, electrons. So the electrons are outside, and the protons and neutrons make up the nucleus of an atom. Um, and if you change the number of neutrons in an atom, that changes its isotope, but it still looks like the same atom. For example, if you had calcium, which is an element, you can have different isotopes of calcium. They have different numbers of neutrons, 
but they're still calcium. Um, and different isotopes are more or less common, and the ones we make are extremely rare. They're not found anywhere on Earth. They're actually only created in stars or supernova explosions. So it's, it's kind of cool. We have access, experimental access to things that shouldn't exist on Earth. What do you physically do at Cyclotron? Do you do this research or...? Yeah, so I, I'm an experimentalist and I, we, we study nuclear structure. So we want to study how does a group of protons and neutrons behave? What, what are its properties and what happens if we say add a neutron or take away a neutron, add a proton, take away a proton? Um, and so what we physically do is we take the... Uh, we go to the Cyclotron, we have an accelerate some isotope, whatever isotope we choose, and then collide it into a, a target. We usually just use a, a chunk of beryllium metal and then look at what comes out. And then depending on what detectors you have around, you can learn different things about these reactions. But it's, it's variations on that theme. Something interesting is that you were on the Business Insiders list for most, most eligible bachelors and bachelorettes in science. So why do you think you were selected? I, I think it was uh, probably laziness on the part of the selectors because, I mean, you, you can look across the hall from me and there's more attractive people. But uh, I, I think there was a recent article that involved me on uh, Scientific American and, and the, the search people probably found that and didn't look any further. Okay, and have you been treated differently? Um, on the whole, no. I, it was announced in front of the entire department at our last uh, departmental award ceremony, which was, uh, I would say, a little embarrassing. Other than that, it's been fine, except for a couple of uh, reality TV shows that uh, found my office number and called me. What did the reality TV shows want? <laughs> I, I imagine they had some sort of gimmicks with nerds doing something. I don't know, that's because that's probably where they found me was Google. Right, and you said no. Why did you say no? It seemed like a, it would take a little bit of time. I, I don't know how long these shows take, but more to the point, uh, I've never actually watched a reality TV show and thought afterwards, oh, that guy seemed like a cool guy. Everybody ends up looking like an idiot, so I didn't want any part of it. Right, makes sense. So what would you say your accomplishments have been so far? Accomplishments? It's, it's tough. You make very small incremental accomplishments. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I've, I've published a couple of papers on nuclear structure, nothing like world-changing, earth-shattering. I'm still working on a couple stuff here at the Cyclotron. Um, but I would say that the thing that I've accomplished here that actually did the most for us is probably only important to a handful of guys. But um, we, because we have uh, gamma detectors, these gamma detectors need to be kept um, under liquid nitrogen at all times. They have to be kept cold, around the clock all the time. And so grad students in our group uh, we trade off weeks with this pager. It's a, a beeper, and we have to uh, carry it around 24 hours a day, and whenever it goes off, you have to, have to come into the lab and fix whatever's going wrong. Um, and This is kind of annoying if, for example, you bike to work and it's the middle of winter or what have you, um, especially because there's sometimes false alarms. Uh, so I think the one of the most important things we, I did here was uh, I, I developed a web-based program so that we can just check from your phone if it's actually a problem and fix most of the problems remotely rather than having to get up at, you know, four in the morning. Because it never goes off when you're at work. It always goes off four in the morning, midnight, you know, when, when it's least convenient. So I think that's improved at least my own quality of life a lot. I don't know if it's a world-changing discovery. Right. Well, so what would happen if you know, this detector were to go off and nobody was available to check what was going on? Uh, during an experiment, it would warm the detector up, which is because it's under a lot of, like, 4,000 volts, and if it warms up, then it can destroy the detector. These detectors cost $100,000 each. And it would also, you know, we'd lose a detector for that experiment. So yeah, well... You, you, get, you get yelled at. Yeah, so then that's a pretty good accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that sounds good. Thanks a lot. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure. 
It's Abby Newton still here on this fine Tuesday evening on Exposure. Now, there's a quaint restaurant nestled in a neighborhood on the outskirts of Old Town Lansing. It's called Golden Harvest. But to residents, it's more than a restaurant. It is a landmark, a staple, a place unique in food, spirit, and culture. But like all good things, the full experience comes to those who wait, sometimes for hours, in January, in Michigan. I'm Kristen Gervais. I'm, um, I lived in Michigan for two years, so. I would say it's probably about 20 degrees. It snowed a lot last night, um, so it's pretty cold. And I mean, we've waited in the cold when there's a line that's a couple hours long, so it's totally worth it. And my name's Freya, and I'm yeah one of Kristen's yeah. friends we met at work, and so we love this place. I live just up the road. I look, looked at it. You no can stress. check again if you want, no, but I don't see fine. any tables, so okay. we'll be waiting. <laughs> My name is Carrie. Oh, I live in Owasso. I came out today because it's kind of like a social experiment. People regulate themselves, no numbers, everybody's nice, you meet people in line, and you never know what's going to happen when you walk in that door. Hi, my name's Audrey Austin. We're waiting in line at the Golden Harvest. It's kind of long, out the door. Probably like half hour, 40 minutes. Yes, we're willing to stand out in the cold for it. Hi, I'm Pete Hensel. If it were below zero, we'd definitely probably stay inside but no when it's nice like this like 20 degrees we'll wait it out the food's definitely worth it 20 degrees is nice for michiganders that golden harvest waiting experience is brought to you by impacts gabriella saldivia This is Abby Newton, and you are listening to Exposure. February is among us, which means it is time to assess how you are doing on those New Year's resolutions. Our very own Spencer Ray asked around and has the full story. Yeah, when we first got there in uh, the first week of January, there were a ton of people. It was packed, and now it's starting to thin out a little bit. I mean, people think it's a good idea at first, and they start to lose motivation, and you know, a lot of people don't want to keep pushing it to go. They make the New Year's resolution just based off the time. It's not particularly a individual choice. They're basing the decision off of a independent, like external reasoning to say. And once they start working out and such, they may not enjoy it. Um, they may be just doing it for cosmetic reasons. I've discovered the best way to keep motivation for exercising is to make it more of an internal thing where like you want to become stronger you want to um, test yourself, you know, see what your physical limits are. What I've seen is when people train just for cosmetic reasons, just for physical looks, then they're more likely to drop off. Instead of like putting the time and research into looking up ways to exercise that are most beneficial for the human body. Oh, we definitely got a lot of people coming in here at the beginning of January when um, the New Year's was over. Because, we, well, we opened up at the end of December, so it had a little bit to do with it. But definitely New Year's resolution had to have something to do with it because we started booming right after New Year's, about five days after, actually. Now, we're not busy all the time. Our busiest times are 4 to 8, though. But usually, um, we, we can get busy. Yeah, we're not losing anybody yet. Just want to feel better, you know, look good for the ladies and stuff, you know. <laughs> You're listening to Impact Exposure. You are listening to Exposure, and I am and always will be Abby Newton. Now, there are all kinds of unique diets and eating habits in this world, but what about eating completely raw? Two Michigan State students did just that. They ate only raw food for the full month of January. 31 days of raw eating. The students happen to both work at Impact Radio as well. Let me welcome Gabriela Saldivia and Colin Marshall to the studio to talk about their raw experience. So what inspired this challenge? Well, I think that a lot of people assumed that this was some kind of diet, some like weight loss plan, something like that, and it was absolutely not that that was not present at all. Yeah, from the beginning of the 
like the inception of our project, I don't think we ever thought about it as a diet. We never put it in those words. Yeah, it was more like an experiment. You know, what what would this be like? Could we do it? Um, how would it make us feel? Would we need less sleep, more sleep? Would we be tired or energized? Mm-hmm. What, what would it be like? Yeah, we kind of wanted to do something that would test the, test the boundaries a little bit, like figure out if was this possible. Um, and as, as well as this being a personal challenge, it was also something we wanted to make a blog and we wanted to post content every single day and kind of explore the greater issues surrounding food that we had talked about that we had um, ourselves discussed, but we weren't sure if there was a medium that we could kind of express all of this Mm -hmm. in. And we found that through our blog. We talked throughout the month with, we interviewed people, um, we discussed documentaries and articles that we found. um, We posted photos and did personal reflections. And it just became this thing that was even greater than our challenge. As I was reading the blog, I saw kind of two things. There was one document documentary on how you felt and what you experienced, and then two, kind of how your thought process changed in terms of talking to those people, in terms of thinking about the global issue. So during the interview, I'll kind of explore both ends, and so we get a nice comprehensive idea. So first, starting with yourselves and how you felt physically, mentally, emotionally even. You know, was it what you expected in terms of the food you put in your body? Was that a direct relation and correlation to how you felt and what you exuded? outside? Definitely. Uh, Throughout the month, I did not expect to be so affected. I remember when Colin first brought up the idea of eating raw to me. He told me he had done it before. It made him feel really good. Um, And I was like, cool, I guess. Like, I didn't really think about it that much. And then once we finally, you know, we got, we went grocery shopping, we started eating. I remember the first day I ate carrots for lunch because I didn't know what else to eat. (laughs) And it was just like one of those things that, wow, I'm this is my life now, and this is how it makes me feel. And so there was lots of times that I ran into challenges, like not packing enough food for the day and then being crabby and overwhelmed and upset and not realizing that it had a direct correlation to what I was eating mm-hmm. or lack thereof eating. Um, and so those were things that like I had to figure out for myself, mm-hmm. um, which was a pretty valuable experience. And uh, in the blog, you defined raw food as unprocessed vegan foods that have not been heated over 118 degrees. So, Colin, can you give us some examples of those foods as maybe go and as well as uh, maybe go into some of the most prominent foods in your now raw food diet? Yeah. So this turned a lot of people off to the idea when we'd ask him, do you think you could do this? And then explaining what raw food is. And I think a lot of people just think that you're just chewing on leaves for your entire day. Freshly grass. Yeah, so <laughs> like, it does not sound appealing. But when you start to talk about, okay, well, we made raw tacos and look at this smoothie we get to drink every morning. And we made brownies and cookies and almond butter. And, you know, there's just all, we made peanut noodles. There's tons of stuff that you would never guess is raw or that you could make from raw food. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it was processing things into sauces or creams. And baby food. Yeah, it's like glorified baby <laughs> food. Right. But, but it was really um, fun, like learning new recipes and discovering that you can do this with uh, all of these kind of obscure ingredient, ingredients and turn it into something delicious. That was pretty exciting. And I think that we turned our friends and family on to some of the food, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Making food for my parents and family was, like, a really fun experience for me to hear them rave about, oh, my gosh, the gazpacho you made, like, can we have that all the time? Or I remember coming here to the Impact to eat dinner and skinning, or skinning, Yes, peeling. Uh Peeling a zucchini (laughs) and seeing people at the front, people will come up to me and say, oh, are you eating pasta tonight? Like, Mm. I would totally do that. I think I'm going to go try that at home. And then hearing feedback from people saying, hey, I tried your recipe and it was amazing. And I didn't realize that, like, that could taste so good. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really cool. That is interesting. Uh, on day one of your blog, you kind of talked about what you'd expect from the whole experiment or challenge. And part of that was um, excitement, overwhelming excitement, but then also a little hesitation. And Gabby, you hesitated in a sense where you were, excuse me, you hesitated in a sense where you were nervous as to what would happen if your friends invited you to lunch or how would you engage in the social atmosphere of food. So how do you feel you handled that? Yeah, that's really funny that you bring that up because I had no, like, that was my biggest fear and I was, like, worried and nervous. And then throughout the month, it didn't really affect me that much. But in the same type of way, what did affect me was being at home with my roommates or maybe at home with my parents and my siblings 
and watching other people eat food and not being able to participate or not being able to help cook Mm -hmm. or talk about things and um, just kind of feeling like that isolation factor, uh, as well as not being able to feel good about what I was eating because I was forcing myself to eat something. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't able to engage in Mm -hmm. that way. And Colin, yours was smells. You're a big coffee drinker. You know, you would like the big aromatic smells. So how was that in handling as you're only eating raw? It was kind of tough. It was difficult to, you know, you come downstairs to the kitchen in your house and your roommates are cooking this and that. And, yeah, overwhelming smells. And it's just making me salivate and wish I could bite into that chicken breast they were cooking (laughs) or the sandwich they made. And But more than the smells came the challenge of eating in a social capacity. So I live in a cooperative house. We make four meals a week and eat kind of as a family. And so, yes, I was definitely welcome to sit with them and eat my dinner, but I couldn't share the pot of stew or whatever they had cooked that night. Um, But they were actually really supportive. They took one meal out of every week and made it a raw meal so that we could all share, and they supported the project. Yeah, that's something we kind of found with a lot of our community. They really supported us. Um, We had a potluck at the end where friends got to engage and, you know, have like a discourse about what raw food is like, and they made their own raw food dishes and brought them, and we had a great time. And I think we found that... Like, with some encouragement, our friends and roommates were really excited for the project and really excited for us, which in turn helped us feel good about what we were doing. That's good. And uh, part of when you were talking earlier, you said, you know, you get to make these raw recipes, you get to do these different raw uh, challenges, but you say the word get. So do you feel that eating raw is a privilege because of its expense or because of other capacities and factors it may filter in? Yeah, totally. I mean, the food that we ate is not only expensive, but only accessible in certain areas. So there is a grocery store, you know, within a two mile radius of my home, there's a few, uh, I can name three actually off Mm -hmm. the top of my head, and all of them have fresh produce. And so not only am I capable of even biking to a grocery store, but uh, you know, Gabby and I had access to a car where we could load up our trunk and buy more than we could carry. We also had the income to you know, dispense on racking up a grocery bill that costs maybe sometimes as much as 70 to $100 strictly on produce. Wow. Per week. Yeah. I spent $473 over the entire month. That's just myself. And so, what's your usual spending a month on groceries? I would say I probably spend around 60 bucks a month in a normal month. Wow. So it's, it's a significant spike. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, so... What is the option for people that don't have $500 a month to spend on eating the food that they want to eat? Mm -hmm. Now, granted, not everyone wants to eat raw, but in the event they would, how are they going to get that produce? Yeah, we explored a couple topics in the month, and one of them was food deserts, Mm -hmm. which are pretty something that you think of and you think some faraway place, different country, different state, different city. But these kind of situations are just down the street in our own communities. Mm -hmm. Do you want to touch on that, Colin? Yeah, so there's a community in Lansing, South Lansing. It's called Fabulous Acres, and they are in a food desert. There is not a grocery store within walking distance of this this area. So what's going on there is a, a community member named Marcus Brown. He's an elementary school teacher and community member. He sank most of his retirement fund into the purchase and remodeling of an empty house that's next to the one that he resides in. And so this became known as the Village Summit in Fabulous Acres. So this empty house was rebuilt to be a community center, a place for kids to go after school. There are volunteers from MSU and other communities that serve as tutors and, you know, just general, they do upkeep of the house. There's a community library. There's a whole wall of board games, computers with internet access. It's a great place. And the main focus of the Village Summit is to provide fresh produce for this community that ordinarily would not have access to it. So Marcus Brown is finding those empty lots that exist between houses um, that used to be property zones. Within walking distance. I mean, we're talking four or five different community gardens within two blocks. Yeah. You know, um, that kind of radius. So there are peach trees, blackberry bushes, 
you know, corn, all, all kinds of stuff that you would Colored never expect greens. to grow wow. onions in like, Lansing's backyard. Yeah, it was really cool to we took a walking tour. We went and interviewed Marcus and met the gardening committee. Um, they had a lot of plans for the future, and I I believe it would it would be so rewarding to go back in the summer mm-hmm. and see this just thriving, um, seeing community members at work and seeing, you know, the the stuff they produce available to anybody that lends in a helping hand. And just like these people, their thoughts about food might have changed with this whole process. And just like you, so how do you feel like your thoughts about food itself, or maybe as you termed it in your blog, our relationship with food changed during your experience only eating raw? Well, I think there's a couple of things to touch on there. One I know for me is where does my food come from? Mm -hmm. Who grows the blueberries I put on top of my Cheerios? You know, who uh, harvests the wheat that is used to make my bread? Um, are these people that are paid fairly? Are they U.S. citizens? Um, is it used? Is it grown with hand labor or machinery? Um, and then, could I grow those things to cut down on my costs um, to provide an ethical way of obtaining food? Um, there's a lot that comes into play here, and exploring, tr- you know, tracing back the origin of my food has helped me wake up to a lot of those ethical issues. Mm-hmm. And I think I think a cool thing that Marcus is doing is, is he talks about that, you know, when a kid in his neighborhood, 10, 11 years old, grows a peach from seed to, Tree. you know, to, yeah, picking it off the branch, like, that's really something mm-hmm. for a kid to say, like, this is my peach. This is, I, I made this and it's now going to taste great and I know where it came from. Yeah. He also said something cool that was like, now this, this 10, 11 year old's older brother who's 18 20 25 he's going to be proud of his younger brother and say hey this is something great like you did this Mm -hmm. and he's going to help protect the garden and help protect what his brother made and with there's hopes with that that possibly any violence or any bad feelings about the gardens or just in general will no longer exist sure Uh, and this is just a little clip from the interview they had with marcus we take it for granted if we have a car. I'll just zip out to Myers and pick this up, or I'll zip up to Kroger's and I'll pick that up. But if you live inside of an area like this, you wind up paying maybe $2 for a can of beans that might cost you half as much at Myers. And we were talking about canned beans there. So imagine what you're looking at if you're trying to get fresh produce or trying to get fresh meat or trying to get anything fresh. Uh, there's no lettuce inside this neighborhood. There is no this, that, and other thing. But wait a minute. There is if we start planting it ourselves and growing certain resources that everyone can use, whether it be green onions or tomatoes or different things that are easy to grow and can provide part of a, a you know, a, a part of a healthy diet. And for more, you can, again, check out their blog and you can um, see not only Marcus, but a few other experts and very innovative people in this field of food. And now touching back on that food and how you felt. So how did you feel in only putting raw on your body, you know, in terms of not only just day-to-day functions, but maybe sleeping or your energy levels? Yeah, I remember when Colin brought up this project um, to me, I was like, he had talked about how he felt really good, and um, it was something that I was really intrigued about, like, what is this really going to feel like for me? Right now I'm eating, I'm not really thinking about what I'm eating. It could be ramen noodles, it could be like a pasta dinner I make for myself, whatever. But um, eating all this raw food helped me realize that, like, it does make you feel differently. And at times you had some mental resentment that made you not as excited about it. But usually, at least this is my experience, that my body felt better, mm-hmm. felt lighter, didn't have this, the gut bomb in your stomach after eating a cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. Like I was excited about never having a stomach ache because I wasn't eating dairy or maybe <laughs> wheat. Like something I cut out of my diet really was affecting me before that didn't affect me when I was eating raw. Mm-hmm. And so those discoveries were awesome and almost h- hard to let go uh, let go of. And I know it's a personal choice. I could go back to eating raw, um, and maybe I will when, if the time mm-hmm. calls me to. <laughs> but, um, yeah, th- those kind of things were really valuable and mm-hmm. something that I don't think I would have figured out on my own without doing this project. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, I, never, I don't remember getting a headache, getting a stomachache, um, feeling fatigued wow. in the month of January. I needed less sleep. I could think clearly and yeah. quickly. Mm-hmm. My confidence was up. We weren't drinking coffee either, which is kind of like 
this weird. Yeah, no caffeine. I haven't really been drinking coffee as much this this month because I just feel like I can sustain myself without it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I recently this like past week, I've been getting a cold. Like my throat hurts pretty bad, That's and interesting. I wake up in the morning, my sinuses are all stuffed, and I have a, a headache. And I don't want to directly correlate it, but like a part <laughs> of my brain is just screaming at me like, "This is because you're eating processed, sugary foods that are not good for you." And it's a weird, like, part of me is like, no, that's some mm-hmm. BS. But then the other part's like, maybe you should really consider what you're putting into your body. It has a huge effect on your body. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but here again lies another point. It's something we thought about that really wasn't on our radar. We went and talked to a nutritionist about halfway through the challenge and, you know, essentially asked her, what the heck are we doing to ourselves? Is this, like, the most insane thing you've seen a person do to their diet? And she agreed that, yes, you know, this is kind of outrageous. She kind of called us out. She was like, you guys are... <laughs> she was, what you're doing yeah. is extreme, I believe, is the way that she phrased it. Right. And, you know, we kind of agreed with her, but her take on it was interesting because she said that as a culture, we can't... We are almost conditioned to give food a lot of power. There are tons of ads everywhere about, like, here's the diet that'll work for you, the Atkins, um, you know, like, diet pills... Watch your calorie intake. There's nutrition facts on everything. And she said that's kind of missing the point. You know, by doing all of that, we're giving food a lot of power. We're letting food dictate our entire being, the way we feel about ourselves, the way we look at ourselves in the mirror. And that that can be unhealthy because it's almost just as bad, if not worse, to obsess about what you can't eat than worrying about what you do eat. And, yeah, so by giving food all that power, it's really doing us a disservice. Yeah, um, I think after we took, did that interview with her, we realized that mentally this month was very, it was like, a, it was a stressor having to constantly police what we ate and to constantly think about our next meal and think about if we could or if we couldn't. And it was like on our brains all the time. Mm-hmm. By the end, we were really ready to be done worrying about it, done talking about it, done having it be the nucleus of our life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little bit stressful. We got through it though, which is pretty pretty amazing. Like, mm-hmm. it took uh, it took some strength. It was a lot of extremes, like extreme cost, socially, financially, and then extreme benefits of physical and mental mm-hmm. alertness and energy. Yeah, definitely. Um, we learned this month where the line is and what mm-hmm. we can accomplish. Like, what is actually possible. True. And I think it was uh, neat on day 11, so it was not almost halfway through, but close to it. Gabby, you wrote, um, it's finally hit me. This is really hard. (laughs) So what was it about that day that made it super hard, or was it just the accumulation of all the things that you had mentioned? I think I was like, it is day 11, and the month is not even half over yet. (laughs) And why did we pick a month with 31 days in it? (laughs) Why not February? (laughs) No, I just remember being a little bit discouraged that day, uh, feeling feeling stressed about the situation and feeling like, wow, we have a lot ahead of us. Mm. Um, I remember thinking, is there a way, like, am I going to be eating a banana for breakfast and then like an apple for lunch and pasta, pasta, zucchini pasta for dinner, like every single day? It was like, so it was, it was hard. But I think after that, I learned ways to kind of like combat the fear, um, just like go straight into it. Uh, Lots of planning, lots of positive thinking, thinking about the benefits. Um, Yeah, it was a learning experience to figure out the best way to approach it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it actually was more of a mental battle for me than it was a physical one. I didn't find myself craving that that many foods. I didn't find myself sitting down eating my meal and thinking I would so much rather be eating something else. Mm -hmm. But I think it was a mental thing like more than it was physical cravings of food. It was like, I can do this. I want to do this. It was changing my mindset to say I have to and making it I want to. Is that how you felt as well, Colleen? Uh, I definitely had some cravings. <laughs> I, I really wanted to eat some macaroni and cheese. Uh, that I have you eaten mac and that. cheese about yet? Uh, forms of mac and cheese, <laughs> you know, like bread and cheese, you know, stuff like that. Same purpose. <laughs> That's but yeah, it was it was really hard, and it, time moves slow. Um, but you know, as we gave ourselves more options of things mm-hmm. to eat, we could satisfy each craving, whether that be something savory, sweet, salty, crunchy, creamy, whatever. Um, there are plenty of raw foods that satisfy every single one of those. Mm-hmm. So 
as long as we had options, it, it didn't seem too bad. And the cravings went away as soon as we ate something, regardless yeah, sure. of what it was. And another huge thing that helped us this month, or last month, I keep saying this month, was having each other. Like, having someone to rely on and someone to keep accountable and someone to be like, hey, what did you have for... I found us... I think we were... We would be like, hey, what did you eat today? Yeah. <laughs> just it was like a touch-based thing. Like, someone on your team. Mm-hmm. It was fun to have someone to to count on that would that was there to support you and, mm-hmm. and say, hey, you can do this. Like, I, if I'm eating carrots for dinner, you can eat carrots for dinner. Right. <laughs> you know. And speaking on that point, another day uh, later, it was in the 20s. I'm not sure exactly which day, but... You're so good at you keeping track <laughs> of all the days. I'm working on it. Um, I looked at it, and I saw Gabby's entry. It said, I cheated. And I looked down, I saw <laughs> Colin's entry. It said, I cheated. It was definitely in sync in that way. But what happened on that day? Well, do you want to tell your story? Yeah, I can start. Okay. He was kind of the instigator of the situation, I believe. And I think Collins was a chain reaction off of mine. <laughs> but uh, basically, I was at a social um, obligation with my dad. He was getting an award. He was getting recognized for an award for his work. And it was at the Kellogg Center Banquet Hall. And they're pretty notorious for, like, you know, doing it up with cake and pop and like your main dish and a lot of bread and actually I noticed the butter pads had like little Spartan heads on them and I was like looking at it like oh I don't want to eat that but anyway we had requested to get the vegetarian or I think my dad even asked for a raw meal for us to eat together and that was really nice and I was very appreciative of that even though I, I did tell him like dad I can eat at home before but he wanted me to have the experience so we get there and everybody else is getting their food it's like chicken and mashed potatoes and sauteed veggies, and um, we're the only two vegetarians in the place. Uh, Vegetarians in quotation marks, of course. (laughs) Raw foodists. Um, So they bring us out the vegetarian option meal, and my heart just sank because it was a big plate full of rice on the outside, and then in the middle was, like, this big sautéed tomato, or, like, roasted tomato with sautéed vegetables inside. And I was really, really close to sending it back. I had this moral discourse in my head like should I send it back should I just eat it I was trying to figure out what to do and I finally landed on you know I'm gonna make this decision and I'm gonna I'm gonna eat this food and I'm gonna live with the consequences I'm gonna tell Colin I'm gonna write it on the blog I'm gonna talk about it with whoever wants to talk to me about my cheating I'm gonna I'm gonna be okay with it like I still feel like I did I'm living up to the challenge and I'm adapting and whatever so Mm -hmm. Um, interestingly enough, after I ate it, I did kind of feel heavier. And I don't know if I was just dramatizing it in my head, but (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, I ate all these sautéed vegetables, and I just feel like they're so oily, and (laughs) I feel bad. Mm -hmm. But um, it was a learning, learning experience. And then... And for you, Colin? Um, Not justified in the least. (laughs) I I knew that... I heard Gabby's story, she told me, and she felt really, really bad. I confessed. (laughs) It was was horrible. Uh, But the next day, I was like, you know what? She she had a full meal. I can take three bites of leftover sushi rice and... (laughs) Like, that was it. You hear the <laughs> Jaws theme song playing as you're done. Seriously, yeah. And then, like, a little part of me died. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it and was I real And I think dry. I was upstairs or something, and you walk up, and you're like, guess what I just did. Yeah. <laughs> but it was almost like even the too. playing field a little bit made mm-hmm. us both feel like, okay, you know what? We we made, we did this, and now we can move on. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And uh, my final questions are, one, would you recommend someone doing this? And, you know, is that sustainable? And then also, what do you hope people took away from your experience as you did do this? I recommend someone, I recommend anybody take on a challenge that pushes past your comfort zone because the po- the whole point of this, I think, for me was where does the line in the sand exist? Eating, 30, eating day in, day out, 100% raw food, for me, is not a sustainable option right now for what's going on in my life and the amount of time that I need to fill in the day with school, work, socializing, mm-hmm. etc. It doesn't make sense. So, But I had to take it much farther than a normal person might to figure that out. So I encourage people to see what we did not as like the answer but a, an example of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that going outside of your comfort zone, trying something new, um, doing something creative or something that makes you think about things is always really, really helpful. Um, it helped me learn a lot about myself and just my attitudes and how I handle myself under pressure. 
Uh, I don't think I would have known that without doing the challenge. So I, I completely agree with Collins in saying that I don't think people should look at our project and say, wow, you know, they were so much healthier. I think I got that a lot this last month. Like, wow, you're so healthy. And mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not sure if that was, that was like the thing that I want people to take away or like, wow, you, you lost weight. I should do that diet. Cause I want to lose weight. Like, ah, no, I, I wouldn't look at it that way. But, um, it was, it was interesting for us to try something new mm -hmm. and we're foodies. Mm -hmm. We we liked learning about food and learning about all the different ways that it affected us. So if if anybody out there has something that they're intrigued about too, why not just go for it? Yeah. Well, Gabby and Colin, again, I appreciate your time, and I think you as well as everyone else will continue to kind of go forth and learn about food as well as their other passions. So with that, thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks Gabby. And the the food the raw food blog is thirty one days raw dot dot com, and thirty one is the numbers three one. Thank you. With that, I conclude exposure this evening. Thank you for being with me tonight. Next week, we will be returning. Next week, we will be turning the microphones and welcoming the Olin Health Center experts as exposure turns into sexposure. We will be talking about the enchanted evening. Now, what is your enchanted evening? You can share it next week right here on Sexposure. Special thanks to our producer, Gabrielle Saldivia, our station manager, Sam Riddle, and our general manager, Ed Glazer. Keeping you informed and bidding you farewell until next week. I'm Abby Newton, and this is Impact Exposure 88.9 FM. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure.